Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled, So, Two Rabbis Get Into an Argument, was given by Darren Roundson and is the 14th in our series, The Kingdom. And he was trying to redeem, renew, and reconcile. That was his mission as he came um, to earth. That was, that was his mission and that continues to be his mission through the work of the Holy Spirit. But we see the last three chapters, Jesus is, is, uh, Mark is writing a narrative describing what Jesus is up to. And in the last three chapters, Jesus keeps pushing back against external forces that will define the kingdom of God. And so we see Jesus say, it's not about religion and rules, it's about relationship to God. We'll see Jesus say, it's, it's not about crowds and success, but it's about pulling away. And those that follow him are the ones that are around him, that are living a life of obedience a life with him. He'll say to a culture that says identity is where uh, you have your job description, where uh, your, what your family and people say about you. It's your money. It, it's being educated. And Jesus is, will say, no, your identity comes from me and what I say about you. And I say that you're my beloved and you are good enough. And so Jesus is constantly pushing back against those things that would want to define or, or restrain or, or redefine the kingdom. And he says, no, only I get to define the kingdom of God. And that's where we pick up in the story. And now, Mark kind of transitions from describing what Jesus is doing in early on in his ministry, and he goes to Jesus teaching about the kingdom. So far, we see him describing it. He's being asked questions. He's being challenged, and he's kind of redefining it. But now we're going to see Jesus really teach about the kingdom of God, and he's going to do that through parables. Um, so we pick up in, in chapter uh, 4, verse 1. And um, we're going to read 20 verses together because we're going to talk about this uh, this evening. So let's uh, grab a Bible, highlight it. Let's look at this together. I'll read it, um, but just go to your Bible. And if if you're looking for Mark, it's page 815 in the Red Bible. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he he got into a boat um, on the sea and sat there. While the the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, he began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on a path and the birds came around and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and, and, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, let anyone with ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables. In order that they may indeed look but not perceive, and may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure it only for a little while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, 
But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on good soil. They hear the word, they accept it, and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. So Jesus tells a parable, and this particular parable is not actually describing the kingdom. In two weeks, we'll talk about the parables that are describing the nature of the kingdom. This particular parable is describing the four types of responses you will get anytime someone sows a seed, anytime someone preaches a word, anytime someone demonstrates the gospel. There are most, most likely four different types of responses. And that's what really this parable should be called, the four listeners, not the four, not the parable of the sower. But in order to interpret this parable, we first have to define the secret that Jesus is talking about. This is another, if you were here last week, this is another Marcan sandwich where Jesus starts with a parable. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark will start by telling the story of a parable. He'll insert something else that will help us understand the whole story. And then he'll come back and continue with the other story that he already started. It's kind of A, B, A. Does that make sense? So in order to understand the beginning, we have to look at the middle section. We have to look at the meat. And so the meat is in verse 10. So let's read this one more time. We'll define what Jesus is getting at. Then we'll go and we'll interpret the parable together. And we'll land um, together this evening. And then we'll go into response. You with me? I got a hand, a thumb, and a yes. All right. All three of us. Let's do it. Um, so verse 10, it says this. So Jesus just told a parable in public, but then it says this. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the 12, asked about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for the, those outside, everything comes in parables. So here's the deal. Jesus lets the disciples in on a secret. He says to those that are following him, those that are in his inner circle, those that are, have already committed to following him as disciples, he says, to you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Well, what is the secret? Well, the secret is this. Those that are with Jesus can understand the parables because they are already practicing the fact that, uh, they're already practicing what they believe. This is going to get a little tricky. But those that are on the outside cannot understand the teaching of Jesus because they're not hearing the word and doing the word. Does that make sense? You could say it this way. The idea of teaching is not that these are secret messages that need to be decoded. It's that the only way to fully grasp what Jesus is teaching is that you have to be on a journey with him and follow him as a disciple to fully get what he's talking about. Those on the outside will never grasp the message of the kingdom. So let me put it this way. Let's, let's say you've never heard of Jesus. You've never heard of the Bible. Let's say you're a banker in New York. Do a role play with me, okay? You're a banker from New York. You make a lot of money. Um, you drive a Ferrari. And, um, and you could be a man or a woman at this point. You have a spouse and a couple kids. You're very successful. Okay, let's pretend that someone says to you this idea. Um, the, uh, whoever wants to, to, to uh, save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Tell that to a banker with no understanding. Does that make sense? Or, or how about this one? Hey, the first will be last and the last shall be first. Tell that to somebody that's not following Jesus and they will say, what are you talking about? Are you with me? 
Does that make sense? The only way to grasp the life that Jesus is offering, the, the, the secrets of the kingdom, the only way to understand what he's saying about the nature of the kingdom is to be on a journey with him as a follower of Christ. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to have your theology, all your ducks in a row. You don't have to understand the Trinity. You don't have to understand all the great aspects. And, and you don't even have to read this entire thing to begin a journey with God. But what he does is as you start that, that journey, things begin to be revealed to you. And the, the things that he teaches make sense. So the point, the secret of parables is that the only way you can understand parables is if you're following Jesus. So the secret is the disciples get it because they're obeying him with their lives. They're already on, on, on board. So that's the secret. Okay, that's the meat. That's the quick meat. And in order to understand all the parables we're going to read in Mark, we have to understand that reality. We have to understand that truth. So we'll talk about this parable tonight, but in two weeks, we'll talk about other, the, the nature of the kingdom. And the only way to get it is to recognize that we're on a journey with God. Okay, you get it. You're with me. So Jesus tells a parable, and like I said, it should be called... Uh, for listeners. But this, this kind of begs the question, first of all, what is a parable? What is a parable? Is it a funny illustration that pastors use in their sermons? No, that's not a parable. Parables are an ancient oral tradition of, of word pictures. Parables are a, a kind of a Jewish way of teaching. Um, parables are, 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 t are using what is known to define what is unknown. Parables are stories. They're often used to reveal the reality of God. Parables push the listener forward and force listeners to make a decision, to wrestle with their own outcome. Parables don't tell you what to believe. They invite you into a story to understand yourself and to see yourself as one of the characters or elements within the story. Parables are not answers. They're, they're stories. They're pictures of, of another reality. They're, they're in, uh, the purpose is to invite you into, um, into a, uh, to invite you into a way to see yourself in the story. One author says this, I love this, the point of a parable is not to tell you about the world, but it's to transform how you interact with the world. It's designed to rupture, to shake up, to reconfigure how you view and interact the world that you live in. Those are parables. A parable is not written about love, but rather it's written from love. And you understand the difference, especially if you're a philosophy major. You can get the difference. It's, it's written not, not about suffering, but from suffering. Not about sorrow, but from sorrow. And, and what parables do is they, they invite you in to a discovery process that gives you a new realm, a new dimension to see yourself, to see the world through. A parable open do, opens a door to possibility, and it forces you to make a decision and decide whether or not that is how you're going to live. You know, and I need to say this, part of the difficulty of parables, and part, one of the reasons that we love to find the answer, the secret message that's within a parable that's not there, is that as Western followers, as Western, in a Western context, we look for the right answer. Think about this. We, 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 we want to know what it means. Just tell me what it means. In Western context, we want to memorize the answers for the test. We don't want to journey through the process of discovering on our own 
how we got to that result for the most part. We, we take pride in knowing the right answer versus discovering and wrestling with a view. And in the Jewish tradition, they didn't teach this. This is why Jesus was a rabbi. He teaches a form of, of teaching. He, he teaches as a rabbi in a way that's posing questions. Jesus is asked all the time, hey, A or B? And Jesus says, well, what about C? Right? He'll say, uh, well, they're doing this and they're, you know, John the Baptist does this, the Pharisees do this. What about you? And he says, well, what about this? Render to Caesar's or what's Caesar's? Every single time he's forcing the people that are following him not to get the right answer, but to wrestle with their faith. But somehow we've missed this in Western context. We just want to give people, here's our doctrine statement, A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. Believe in this and then you're a real disciple. But that's not what discipleship is about. Discipleship is about a journey of discovery. It's about wrestling with the faith. And in the Jewish concept of, uh, uh, in the Jewish worldview, um, a disciple was forced to wrestle. There's a Jewish concept, Havarim. It's a study partner. In, the, in the, the tradition of discipleship, a disciple would have a rabbi that they would follow and they would have a Havarim, a study partner, that they literally, the whole point was to debate their views of Yahweh and Torah. It wasn't looked down upon that they disagreed on different theologies. It was actually, uh, they actually loved the fact because Israel, in reality, the word Israel means to wrestle. So it just so, it just so happens that the, the Jewish community, the way they would educate each other is to wrestle through their faith. So as we discuss parables, we really have to move away from, hey, hey, pastor, tell me what to believe. And we have to be invited into a story and find ourselves in the story. You know, there's a funny Jewish parable that really, um, it's an old Jewish parable that describes this kind of concept of Jewish wrestling. And, and I'm going to just tell you, it goes like this. And, and maybe you'll find it funny. I heard it with an Irish accent, and so it made me laugh, but I'm not going to do the Irish accent tonight. Um, although I could. I have a mean Irish accent. No. Um, it's this, a story of two rabbis who are arguing about a passage in the Torah. They're arguing about this passage for 20 years over what it means. God, who has the patience of a saint, um, who, who gets to a point where he gets just annoyed. And he, after listening, he sighs. And God says, I'm going to go down there and tell them what it means. So God parts the clouds. He goes straight down to these two rabbis who just so happen to be arguing about that verse at that moment. And he comes down and he says, okay, guys, I'm, I've been listening to you argue about this passage for 20 years. I'm going to tell you what it means. And at a rare moment of unity, the two rabbis turn to God and say, what right do you have to come down here and tell us what it means? Get back up into heaven and let us argue about it. The point of the parable, it's not, it, it's not supposed to laugh. You know, I mean, it's not a funny parable. It illustrates the Jewish concept of wrestling with a view of God. We don't want the answer. We want to wrestle with our theology and journey with God. So parables are designed to invite you in. So here, here's the parable. I want to I read it in our context. I want to tell you the parable. So first of all, just in every parable, to understand it, there's usually characters. You, you read the prodigal son, and there's, this, there's the younger son, there's the, um, the prodigal, there's the older brother, and then there's the father. And the, the point is that you could see yourself at any given moment, all of those characters in that story. That's the point of the parable with the, with the prodigal son. And so here we have, we have character. We have a sower who sows the seed. Now a sower is anyone that sows a seed. Does that make sense? A sower sows a seed. So a sower is anyone that sows seed. Are you with me? Okay, let's start with the basics and we'll go, we'll go further. The seed is the gospel message of Jesus. 
The seed is the word of uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. So the seed is the announcement of the kingdom of God. Now, I really want to help us with this because it doesn't mean the seed is just somebody preaching on Sunday, the message out of a text, out of the Bible. The seed actually can be demonstrated. It could be planting a community garden. It could be showing up to a community garden uh, after school every Tuesday. You are sowing seeds left and right, whether you talk to somebody or not. Somehow you are revealing the kingdom of God. It could be discussing your faith over the dinner table with your family members. Just sharing that. It could be preaching on Sunday. It could be putting coins in the laundromat and providing free laundry for people that can't afford it. It doesn't matter what it is. As long as the kingdom's being embodied, it's being lived out, it's being preached, it's being spoken about, it's being shared, the seed is all of those things. So a sower is someone who does all of those things. So the picture is we see a farmer who's just so happen, happening, uh, just so happens to be sowing the word of God. And Jesus then gives us four pictures of how you might respond, how anyone might respond to any of those possible ways you might sow. And here's, here's the four in a nutshell. First of all, let me, let me read, uh, I'll just read in my own words this, the, the parable again. It says this, um, the sower sows some seed, and when the seed is flung out onto the path, it's heard, but it's quickly stolen away. That's one. Sower sows some seed, and when the seed is tossed onto some rocks, no roots take hold. There is an appearance of depth and growth, but because of, uh, because of the good soil on the surface, but it's only surface level. So when the seed is spread among thorns, it is received, but it's suffocate, suffocated by life's worries and by riches and pleasures. That's the third possibility. And the fourth one is this. When the seed is sown to good soil, it grows and takes root, and it produces a kingdom harvest that was unexpected. Those are the four possible ways that you might respond. Where do you see yourself in that story? You could say it like this. The message doesn't get through at all. It's one. So where somebody sows a seed and uh, a message is embraced but found to be difficult to live out. That's the second response. You could say that the third response is a message is rendered ineffective because it's choked out by other concerns. Or the fourth response is that the message actually gets through and produces a harvest that exceeds all possible expectations. Where do you see yourself in the story? Where do you see yourself in the story right now? Here, here's a modern way to tell the story. Um, a pastor preaches a message on Sunday about God's healing in the present world. Pre preaches to his normal congregation. A young man sitting in the gathering um, is thinking about the party he was at last night. And because he wasn't paying attention, as he yawns, this, he doesn't pay attention to the sermon. And the truth that was spoken to him doesn't get through at all. The young man doesn't hear the message that was intended to hear. It's one response. In the same congregation, same message, an older lady is sitting in the service paying attention. She hears that the message what the message is, and she's excited to live this out. She has this wonderful revelation that actually God does care about this creation and that God does break into here and now and heals today. So she gets excited. She goes out on Monday. Her, her coworker is sick. She prays for healing for her coworker, but nothing happens. Because there's no depth in her faith and because she feels frustrated, she realizes that the gospel is difficult to live out. And she no longer prays in public because she doesn't have the capacity to understand, so she quits praying for people. Third 
option. Same sermon, same Sunday. An older gentleman is, gentleman is sitting in the gathering, hears the same message, listens to this powerful reality of God. But as soon as the gathering is over, the world enters back into this life. He's thinking about budgeting, finances, success, his car payments, his kids, medical bills, the gym memberships that he has, uh, his friends that are going to come over that night, his resources. All of life distracts him from allowing what was planted on Sunday to grow. And the gospel doesn't make effect in his life. Or there's a fourth response. Same message, same Sunday, same congregation. Another woman, it was only her second time at church. She hears this message about God's healing power in the world. And being open and available, she's paying attention to every word, but she hears this line. It's kind of a, a secondary statement. The God of the universe loves you as you are, not as you should be. And in a rare moment, this woman hears this from a pastor. It's not really a point at all. It was a throwaway uh, point. But this line grabbed her heart. And what was developed over a long history of self-hatred, self-doubt, and self-worth, she actually saw herself as her parents told her, as her friends told her, as the world told her, and as her ex-husband told her. And what she saw in the mirror for the first time changed. She now saw someone that was lovable. And that good news, that one throwaway, throwaway line transformed a woman of brokenness to a woman of wholeness. Or you could say that the fourth response is that a seed was planted in good soil and it produced a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. Where do you see yourself in the story? Think it's very easy for us to say we're good soil. But as we sit here, we have a variety of things begging for our attention, distractions. We have lists, external and internal noises that are keeping us from kingdom harvest. And know this, in the first century, the expected harvest of any crop was maybe eightfold. So 30, 60, 100-fold is this unbelievable reality that the kingdom can produce far more than whatever is expected on very little. Where do you see yourself in the story? How might you receive what, what's being told? And if I could speak frankly for a moment, I'd really like to challenge us this evening as a church, and I know there's a lot of new people this morning, but to really think about the third option. I really believe that American Christianity struggles with thorns. Thorns are anything that distract us from the life that Jesus has intended us to live. I don't think it's very hard for us to realize how easy it is to just attach Jesus to our lives. That Sunday is where we find God, but not, this, not six other days of the week. And just think about this. And let's just say you start with Jesus in your relationship. And he said, yes, I believe that you indeed have been resurrected from the dead. I will wake up early on Sunday morning or go to church Sunday night, except after this weekend because they're not going to have Sunday night church. But I will go to church on Sundays and I will do my best to live with you. But then what happens? You, your paycheck begins to come in and you're really worried about whether or not you're going to make rent. And not only that, but there's this expectation from your family that's come from your past. They expect that the man of the house will make enough and be really successful. So all of a sudden, the paycheck that's not enough is driving you to make way more in this world. And it's no longer just a paycheck, but you have this relationship with a girlfriend and you know you shouldn't be doing things that you're doing, but you're still doing them. And not only that, but you have some issues with internet. 
It's not just pornography, but Facebook and Twitter takes up most of your time. And so you don't really have time to read in the mornings because, you know, God is important, but Sundays, I'll, I'll leave that for then. Or, or maybe when I have more time, I'll, I'll spend time with God. But then you have your relationship with your girlfriend that's breaking some boundaries. You have a relationship with some internet that's obviously breaking some boundaries. And apparently you have some time management issues where you have time to post 15 messages a day on Facebook, but you don't have time to open up your scripture for five minutes and say, actually, Jesus is resurrected from the dead, let alone extracurricular activities, school, jobs, friends, the weekends, you name it. And the truth is this, American Christianity is a, a worshiping a God called busyness. And we formed our identity around what we do in our calendars versus around a God who is resurrected from the dead. And that changes everything. I don't know if any of you can relate to some of those issues. Maybe you can't. I said Facebook, so all of you can. But in our culture, we've just attached Jesus to everything else. And he won't grow a kingdom harvest with other gods laying around. Jesus wants to come in and become Lord of your life full-time, not part-time. What's distracting you here and now, practically speaking, from a life lived with Christ in the center of your life? Is it a relationship? Is it your time? Is it the belief that there actually is a God? <laughs> is it internet? Is it your finances? Is it your dreams? Is it an American dream? Is it your kids? At some point, just so you know, as we journey through the kingdom of God, it's going to become more increasingly clear that there is no other kingdom you can have allegiance to, that all other kingdoms have to go in order to follow Christ. And if you want to understand this parable, you have to understand that it comes by following Jesus first. So to backstep, as you see the four soils, where do you see yourself? And here's, let's just set, center in on this. How many of us are doing okay being with Jesus every day? How many of us are struggling to live a life empowered by a God who is living and breathing and real? Most of us. So here's what I want to do, uh, just to land very practical, because I don't want to, yeah, crazy, I want you to just wrestle with where you find yourself in the story. And some of us, I think most of us probably are distracted. But I, 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 want, I was thinking about this earlier this morning when I woke up. Uh, I was thinking about when I played basketball. When I played basketball, I started in second grade. I think I was eight. Um, and I was a little kid. I was a little chubby kid, a cute chubby kid. Um, and uh, I, I always wore, like, the double shirts because I was embarrassed. But it was, anyways, that's too much informa information. Um, so I was a cute little chubby kid, and, and I go to play basketball, and I watched it on TV, and I love basketball. And, and I go, and I'm on this great team, and in my first practice, I'll, I, I really, I won't forget this. Um, it, uh, we were the Tar Heels. That's what our, our team was. I didn't know them at the time. But so we, we go, and I go to my first practice, and what do they do? They, they gave me the ball and say, all right, Darren, start making three-pointers. No, they didn't say that. They say, okay, Darren, here's the ball. Start dribbling. Here's what a dribble is. Do it like this. 
So I started doing like this, but then I started doing like, and they're like, no, not two hands. That's called double dribble. And then I pick it up, and, and they say, no, no, you can't walk three steps. That's called traveling. And then we start, we start getting dribbling down. They're like, all right, pass the ball. What's a pass? Well, you, you throw the ball. You can bounce it. You can throw it. You can do a variety of things. They're teaching me the basics. And then they're saying, okay, here's the boundary, Darren. You can't step out of bounds. If you step out of bounds, you're not playing in the game anymore. But you've got to stay within the bounds. And, and here's the three-point line. Here's the two-point. Here's the key. Uh, okay, when you're shooting, you've got to get your elbow in. What are they teaching me? They're teaching me the fundamentals of basketball. Every single good basketball player learns how to play basketball by learning fundamentals. Good fundamentals will produce great basketball players. I believe that American Christianity has lost fundamentals. We don't even know how to be with Jesus anymore. We read these devotion books, which are helpful. Or, or we don't even read the Bible. We don't even know how to engage a spirit that's living and active and wants to invade every aspect of our life that we let him into. We don't even know how to begin. So I just want to give us three very, very practical fundamentals that we start here, commit to this, and let's just keep it simple. And as a church, let's journey towards what it might look like 10 years down the road. But let's start all together on these fundamentals. So I want to ask you to write this down or, or commit to this. Lent's coming up. Perfect time. And our church recognizes the practice of Lent. Lent is a historical Orthodox church practice. Millions and millions, if not billion people will practice this this year. It starts, uh, uh, the, it starts March 9th, and it's a 40-day fast. And what it's designed for is for people that accept Jesus as the resurrected Son of God to, to basically get rid of distractions and to add things, practices into their life that will help them prepare for the cross, for Good Friday, and for Resurrection Sunday. So this is a perfect opportunity. 40 days. Would you commit to these things? Ready? Number one, would you wake up every morning and simply invite the Holy Spirit into your life? I don't want you to do anything different than, than what you already do in the morning. If your routine is you hop in the shower, you make a pot of coffee, or you're making breakfast. In that time, as you're doing those things, can you simply cognitively wake up and just say, Lord Jesus Christ, would you, would you send your Spirit to fill me up today? Offer where you are to him. Just start with where, you're at, where you are. Lord, would you fill me? Allow me to experience your Holy Spirit. Allow me to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to be a good husband because I desperately need your help to be a good husband. That's my prayer. Because if I'm left on my own, I'll do it wrong. Lord, would you empower me to be a good coworker? Would you just allow me to live with, with my eyes open to you? Just start there. When you're driving to work, maybe it's just this Holy Spirit would you bless this day? Thank you for a car to get to work. Lord, would you uh, come and fill me? Thank you for actually having a job that pays the bill. Thank you for my home. Just offer your life where you are, just cognitively. You don't have to say it out loud. Just invite the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. Start with simple prayer of where you are. I guarantee you, if you do that one little discipline, you will see dramatic change in your life. The goal isn't change. The goal is relationship. But you will see growth in your spirituality. Starts with where you are. You with me? Can we agree to that one thing? It's not a lot. It takes a couple se seconds. I just did it like six times. Um, so you got some catching up. It's competition. Just kidding. 660 times, Darren. Um, second thing. I know so many Christians that have no idea what's in this thing. It is pathetic. I'm sorry to come down. 
But if we are a movement that's based on the reality that God spoke world into existence and that he sent himself and, and his son to, 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 to take on the sins of the world, to redeem the world, not just humanity and its sins, but all of creation, we should probably know what's in this book and know how it formulates. So I want to challenge you to become biblically literate. And all I want you to do, and you know yourself, and I'm not challenging you to read the Bible in 90 days. That's freaking hard. Um, I did it, and it was terrible. I'll never do it again. Um, it's just, it, at some point, you're just like, I'm done. You were like in Numbers and like Second Chronicles, and you're like, seriously, God, this is important? Um, no, it's important. Um, you're just like, man, you get to genealogy, and you're just like, come on. No, I want you to go somewhere. Let's just say Mark or somewhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament, whatever you desire, but would you just commit to reading a couple verses every day? Maybe for some of you, it's a big deal to jump in, read five verses, read a chapter, read a passage, read, a, you could read Mark, start in Mark, that's where we are as a church, you could just go through that slowly, you could read the entire book of Mark in 30 minutes, it's really easy, it's a small 16 chapter book, I've, it's great, it's a, a great story, so would you do this, would you commit to just opening the word every day, for literally five, even if it's just, dang it Darren, okay, five verses, done, let's get into the word. That will shape your soul. You see, these disciplines are like doing push-ups. The point is not to get really good at doing push-ups. The point is to get in shape, to be physically fit, to whatever the goal is, to be healthy. The point of the Bible, reading the text, is to know this unbelievable God, to, to enter into a relationship. I had a friend who's been a Christian his whole life. I was talking to him. And he said to me, Darren, I've read the Bible four times all the way through, and I believe with all my heart that God hates me. And I said, then what Bible are you reading? Because you're obviously missing the point. So it's not just about reading for reading's sake. It's about relationship. Understand this God that we worship. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is this. Would you just commit to prayer? Not just inviting the Holy Spirit into your life, but just a life of prayer, obedience, intercession. And, and I really want to keep it simple. So would you try this? Once a week, go on a prayer walk for 15 minutes. Walk around your neighborhood and just talk to God out loud or in your head. Maybe uh, you don't get, do good at prayer walk. Maybe you need to sit down, go to a coffee shop, grab a journal, put some headphones on, and journal your prayers to God. Just, just once a week, commit to praying for other things other than just you. We learned that we become ambassadors of Christ. So here's, here's the deal. Those are the fundamentals of our life with God. It starts with just accepting God, inviting Him into your life, and it begins with journeying with Him. And the way we get to know Him partly is through the Word, but a journey together with, with this community, but also through prayer. If we start there, along the way, God's going to shape our souls towards Christ-likeness. This is what discipleship is all about. So would you think of this as, as we come to a a close. I just ask you, I invite you into this journey the next 40 days. I'm going to check on you guys on Sunday, and um, we will let you in or not if you did it. So if you don't do it, we'll have more seats. It's awesome. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm not. You guys are new. I'm not kidding. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but would you guys commit, if, you're, if, you, if you belong to the garden, if this is your home, would you commit to those three things? Invite the Spirit into your life to empower you in ordinary, normal stuff. Read five verses, at least five verses a day. And maybe do four, four days a week. And would you pray once a week for the city, for your family, who, whatever comes on your heart, just pray once a week. Let's start with the fundamentals. And here's why I want to say that. 
for so many of us, we're distracted by so many things because we've made our relationship to God be something else other than those things. We look not at living word and text, one, five verses at, at a time. We're, we're overwhelmed sometimes by the, the, this giant book and we're like, there's no way I can get it all through. That's not the goal. The goal is a lifelong commitment to Christ. So can you do that? Can I get some head nods? Some, I'm going to do it. How many, just, I'm just curious, how many are willing to do that with me? In this, oh, dude, that's awesome. What a privilege. Thank you. Gosh, I'm so excited for that. So let me close with this. God, um, God is a, a generous God that meets you where you are and moves you to wholeness. But, but that he won't do it without your involvement. He won't force you into anything. He simply invites you to follow him. And in, the, in this invitation, it's this. That the, the good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. How are you receiving that this evening? What soil do you find yourself in? Is it, is it going through it all? Are you tired? Are you not hearing it? Are you uh, excited, but tomorrow, the moment you get out, you're like, no, I'm already done with the, that commitment. Are you distracted by lists, to-do lists, relationships, crap in your life, sin, issues, finances that really you can't even engage? Or are tonight, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to produce a kingdom harvest? Where do you find yourself in the story this evening? Let's take that and let's respond together in worship. Let me pray and then I'll invite Nikki back up here. Lord, thank you, God, for uh, your word. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for you not giving us a bunch of lists to follow. Thanks for not giving us a to-do list, 17 steps to spiritual wholeness. Thanks for giving us stories to find ourselves in. Thanks for meeting us where we are, for saying to us that actually you can do a lot with some dirt. I'm just remembering how you created the universe, how you created humanity. You took some dirt and you blew it into it, your breath, and it created humans. And sometimes it seems like all we have to give you is dust. But Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters that literally see their life as, di as dirt, as crap. And I ask this evening, God, that you would pour your spirit, your breathe your breath of life, breathe your air, your spirit, Lord, Holy Spirit, on, on us tonight to take what we have and to create beauty. But Lord, we welcome you this evening right now. You're already moving. We just invite you right now into this time as we begin to worship. May we take what we have. May we take what we have and may we offer it to you. I cultivate. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from the garden or if you would like to find out more about the garden church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.